Episode, episode, episode six. Episode six. Hello, welcome to episode six of Analog Thoughts. I am your host, Stephen, aka Mount Analog. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for joining, sharing the experience, sharing in on this very special Halloween episode. We're going to get into the origins of the holiday. Um, but first, a word from our sponsors. I'm just kidding. I'm not sponsored by anyone. <laughs> Except my freaking self. And my beautiful patrons over on Patreon. If you go to Patreon, search Mount Analog, M-T, period, A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E, you can find my Patreon there. And if, if you'd like to go above and beyond just listening, which is more than enough, listen, tell your friends, tell your family, all that jazz um, is more than enough. But if you want to go above and beyond Patreon, find me there. I have different tiers with different rewards for different tiers. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, mental health. I always like to kind of uh, embed a little nugget of clarity at the beginning of these episodes. And I wanted to for this episode, talk about how no matter what you're going through or what you, where you feel like you're at in life or what you think you are capable of, that change is always possible. It's never too late to start something new. It's never too late to quit a bad habit to start a new good habit or to just change your perspective or the dynamics of what you have going on. So remember that you are capable, you are powerful, you are allowed to change. Change is important. And even though it hurts and sometimes we can push back against it, oftentimes we can push back against it, sometimes it's the best thing for us is changing and just being okay with that. And I think that anecdote or that lesson or that thought kind of brings us into the theme of this episode, which is Halloween and the origins of Halloween and why it's so important. It's a great time of change and transition and and part of the beautiful cycle of life and death that not only nature goes through, but we go through uh, just as a part of the human condition. Halloween is definitely my favorite holiday. It's my favorite time of year. I love the fall. I love the crispness, the crispness of the air. I love how everything's changing and we're entering into a new cycle of nature and it's just beautiful. And I also love how it's this celebration of strangeness and otherworldly sort of creepy creepiness almost <laughs> or it just a big celebration of weird and a big embracing of the the untangible spirit realm or like the tangible spirit realm i just like that i like that vibe and i really resonate with it so anyway let's get to the origins of of halloween Many of us 
know Halloween is this time of year where we get dressed up and act like creatures or goblins or ghouls and we carve pumpkins and we ask for candy and it's just this, like I said, embracing of weird and strange energies and a time where we feel like the living and the dead aren't so far from each other. All of these things and many of the other modern takes on this time of year are rooted in very, very old traditions and rituals. The origins of these things go way, 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 way back. And traditions involving Halloween go back as far as human civilization itself, if you really look at it. In almost every culture, there have been these celebrations of cycles, these celebrations of transition. And Halloween is rooted in one such tradition. It's it's a tradition of summer turning into winter, of life turning into death. That is the main core theme here, is this is a celebration of transition and a celebration of change. They deal with, um, you know, all throughout human history and, and human cultures throughout the world, there are rituals and celebrations that honor the dead, and they deal with spirits who don't want to or aren't capable of moving on into the afterlife, like Day of the Dead, um, or China has a China has a ceremony called Tomb Sweeping Day, and there's countless other celebrations of the dead and celebrations of transition. I'm not going to get into all of them because this <laughs> this one's more about Halloween and its origin specifically. In the West, for the for the most part, in like the in North America, in the West, we don't have a ton of, uh, we don't have a ton of rituals or ceremonies that honor the dead, that honor the dead. We kind of just have, for the most part, we have, um, we have funerals and viewings and stuff like that, but it's not as big a part of our culture. It doesn't hold, you know, as much weight as it does in other parts of the world. So that's another reason Halloween's really cool to me, because it's, it's this echo of ancient traditions that has taken hold in the West. And even for people who aren't into Halloween, it kind of gives them this opportunity to think about mortality and this inevitability of death that we all share. It's really beautiful. And it reminds me that, reminds me and everyone else that we're eternally bound to death together. It's It's this thing we all have in common. It's this grand unifier, and it's this celebration of of that. So, <laughs> Halloween, as we know it in the United States, came from a very ancient Celtic festival called Samhain. And Samhain is spelled like Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's pronounced Samhain. Samhain was a festival that took place between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. It usually started around October 31st and was celebrated by the ancient Celtic people of Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and other parts of Europe. It lasted for about three days. The, the Celts, the ancient Celtic, Celtic people, <laughs> thought that during this time the veil between the living and the dead was its thinnest. 
They believed that during this time, we were able to communicate heavily with the spirits. They could enter our plane of existence, and we could get a glimpse into theirs. During this time, they believed spirits could pass into the afterlife dimension easier. That spirits who were stuck here or having a hard time finding their way out of our material plane could get into the spirit plane easier. But with that, that also, since this veil was being thinned, since it was being lifted in our two worlds of, of existence and non-existence, well, existence and after-existence, I guess, we're coming to this collision, it not only allowed spirits that were trying to get into the spirit world that opportunity, it also allowed spirits from the afterlife dimension to pass into our world as well. So not only could human spirits pass into the into this dimension with ease, uh, other other spirits could as well. Demons, fairies, sprites, and all manner of whimsical otherworldly beings could come through the veil during Samhain. A few random facts about Samhain: it is um, it is the modern Irish word for the month of November, and there's a place in Ireland called the Hill of Ward where ancient Celtic rituals of Samhain were practiced. And over the last decade or so, there's been this resurgence to have a Samhain revival at this spot, which I thought was pretty cool. So people, kind of, people, people gather there and they do, uh, they do rituals and ceremonies that they used to do thousands and thousands of years ago. It's an ancient Samhain revival. Just thought that was a fun little tidbit. I don't know. I don't know what a tidbit is. Is it a? Is it like a bit of tid? What's a tid? Is a tid? Is a tid a unit of measurement? I don't know. I'll have a bit. I'll have a tid. Just go a tid more, so you get a little bit. You get a. You get a bit of a tid. Anyway, Sawin makes the begin. <laughs> Sawin marks the beginning of the darker part of the year. The Celts looked at the beginning of days as dusk. Once the sun went down, a new day was beginning. And because of this perspective on time and new beginnings, Samhain actually marked the beginning of their new year. It was their New Year's. So it begins in darkness. It's the, it's the turning into the darkest part of the year, and because of that, they consider it their New Year's, which I thought that was another really cool tidbit. It was a, like I said before, it was a time of transition from summer to winter. It was also a time for preparation. They harvested crops. Cattle were rounded up and slaughtered. Some of them were sacrificed. Uh, more than some of them. Lots of them were sacrificed to the Celtic gods. Or if they were lucky, they were lodged for the winter. This was a time for feasting, tons of eating, tons of drinking alcohol, um, and other fluids. In the midst of all of this feasting and drinking and killing of animals, the Celts also used this time for important decisions. Like, who was going to be the new king or leader? Or repaying debts. Such and such gave me, you know, I gave such and such this bag of grain. They owe me a goat. Stuff like that. Or... Sentencing criminals who were who had done really heinous crimes, just sort of just sort of 
wrapping up everything for the end of the year. Stuff that need stuff that needed to be done to start the new year. So they'd have trials and make new laws and vote on laws and all that jazz. Just getting ready, just getting things prepped, getting getting ready for the new upcoming year. Celebration of the end of the year and a preparation for the new year and for winter. Before Sawin started, all the fires in the villages were put out. The festival would start in complete darkness. And then ancient Celtic priests, known as druids, would ignite a huge fire for the festivities. The bones of the animals that were sacrificed to the gods were then thrown onto the fire. A bone fire. And this bone fire is actually where we get the modern word for bonfire. Bonefire, bonfire, fire of bones, ging, 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 throw the bones of the sacrificed animals onto the fire, let it burn, ging, 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 ging. Anyway, uh, people, people would, so since everyone would put their fires out there, at their homes and their hearths, people would take a torch to this big bonefire. They would take a flame from the bonfire back to their dwellings and relight their hearths from the bonfire. And this was meant to represent their unity and how their community would share and help one another, lighting a bunch of small fires off of this one collective bonfire. So there was a lot of symbol. It was very symbolic to them. The fire was very important and symbolic to them. Many historians think that Samhain had a lot of singing and dancing and dressing up in costumes. Some believed the costumes were made of animal skins or animal heads, which this, you know, obviously we see how this parallels to dressing up today, where this tradition kind of originates from. Because this was a time, because Samhain, during Samhain, it was a time between the living and the dead, and these two worlds were blurred. There was the thinning of this veil. The Celtic people considered this time perilous. They thought that the world of the dead, as starting to merge in tandem with the world of the living, and because of this, they were thought to use extreme caution just in general at this time. If the veil is getting lifted and there's a potential for demonic forces to come through, through or malevolent spirits to come through, they wanted to heed that, and they were very cautious. And there's tons of Celtic folklore about demons and bad spirits coming through and running amok all across Ireland and Scotland and other parts of Europe. But on the flip side to this, on the flip side of the veil being lifted, um, it was also considered a time of peace in this weird way. So... These worlds were colliding, the spirit world was merging with the human realm, the human plane of existence, and while they were merging and coexisting, and our reality was becoming this liminal space to facilitate transition, our quarrels, our quarrels and our petty human things that we were wrapped up in didn't seem so important. 
we were able to recognize, or the Celts were able to recognize, that life and things beyond us were much more important. And they were able to once again find a sense of peace, knowing that we were all destined to this fate of death, and that our trivial troubles in the grand scheme of things really just didn't matter much. They didn't stack up to how important and how raw and real this inevitability was. We're talking a lot about the ancient Celtic people throughout this, but I just wanted to take a minute to say that these traditions actually predate the Celtic people. They evolved from much more ancient traditions that were before the Celts in Europe. Ancient, ancient, ancient pagan traditions that predate the Celts by thousands of years. Deep traditions that are intertwined with humans as a species in general. And this echo or this mutation forward just keeps happening and happening. Uh, there's there's only a finite amount of knowledge we have about the Celtic people and their traditions and the pagan traditions that predated those traditions have even less information. We know they existed. There isn't a ton of information about them, but we do know that the Celtic people derived their traditions and their celebrations, especially of Sawin and many other ceremonies during the year from the ancient pagan people. I just wanted to I just wanted to plug that in there. I just wanted to plug the <laughs> I wanted to plug the ancient pagans real quick. And just as just as the Celtic people were leaning on traditions of the ancient pagans that came before them and creating new ones and mutating of existing ones, eventually Christians showed up to the party specifically Catholics. And the Catholics, of course, convert, want, they wanted to convert all of the Celtic people because that's kind of just what Christianity does, especially in Catholicism. It's all about, like, join us, become one of us. We are the only way. Catholicism will save you from eternal damnation. You know, they, they just wanted people to join Catholicism. And... Instead of outright trying to feed Catholicism to the Celtic people, they decided to make Catholicism more enticing to them by incorporating certain pagan rituals and Celtic rituals into the Catholic calendar. And they, you know, they they had already changed things before in Catholic religions to get in the Catholic religion to get people to join. They were like, we're going to change stuff. We, it doesn't matter. We, we want more people. We want more bodies. We need more soldiers. We need just more people into Catholicism. So we're going to change things a little bit. And we're going to get all of these Celtics across, Celtic people across Europe to join us. And in an effort to absorb Samhain into their calendar, they decided to create All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. They made it happen in May, and it had a bunch of other weird things that Sawin didn't have, <laughs> but the Celtic people weren't really having it. They were like, why are you throwing this in May? Why are you kind of stealing our holiday? It just, they, they weren't having it. So the Catholic Church decided to move it to November 1st and refer to the day as refer to the day as all 
the day after All Saints Day as All Souls Day, a day in which rituals that didn't fit into All Saints Day could be observed. So they had all of these rituals that <laughs> that didn't really make sense to them, and they were trying to practice them on May 1st. Uh, the Celtic people were like, nah, what is, what is all this? You guys forgot to add this and this and this and this and this, and this isn't even close to what we do. So they're like, okay, we'll put it on November First, uh, the day after will be observed as All Souls Day, and that's where we'll cram in a lot of the stuff that y'all do. Does this work? Does this sound tight? Does this sound tight to y'all? And it kind of did work. A lot of the... Well, it didn't kind of work. It it worked pretty well. Many of the ancient pagan and Celtic characters and deities of of Samhain began to become mixed in with Catholic biblical figures, and the church had effectively melted Samhain with Catholicism. They started to light bond the Catholic church during their version of Samhain started to light bonfires, but instead of being for the ancient pagan gods and Celtic gods, they now started to be for Christian heroes. And they were also lit for the glory of Christ instead of the ancient gods. They were, they, were, they were lit for Jesus. And by the 15th century, we start to see writings describing the holiday and celebrations closer to the traditional holiday of Halloween that we know today. So to sum that up, Catholic Church says, we're going to incorporate a lot of your traditions, and we're going to take some of your ideas and some of your, some of your deities and mix them up with some of our Christian deities, and we're going to create this fusion of All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and Samhain, and it's, does this look enticing to you? Are you feeling this? And there was a lot of Catholic influence around Europe at this time, and they were feeling it. Like I said, it worked. A lot of Celtic people, the Celtic traditions, the ancient Celtic traditions started to move more towards these new Catholic traditions, and Samhain mutates again. So during this mutation, uh, this part of this part of the tradition of this new Frankenstein holiday, pun intended, became going around your village and asking for cakes in exchange for prayer. This tradition was known as souling. People would knock on your door. They would say, I will pray for you, I will bless you and your family if you can give me uh, a little cake, a little treat. So that just became something that the Catholics integrated into their new Halloween-esque holiday. And I guess you can, you can draw the parallels there between, between trick-or-treating and people asking for candy and how this ties in with souling. Also, a little later down the line, in the 16th century, this is kind of, this one's, this little fact is kind of a tangent, uh, but stick with me because it will make sense once we get through this little tangent story. A little later down the line, in the 16th century, there was this thing called Guy Fawkes Day. And this all started after a failed assassination attempt in England. A group of Catholics tried to assassinate the Protestant King of England, on November 5th, along with his whole parliament. The attempt failed, 
and a man named Guy Fox was caught with all of the gunpowder on him. So his name became attached to the observance of this day. And this day came to be celebrated by the Protestants of Britain as their triumph over Catholicism. So November 5th became a British holiday. Bonfires were lit, effigies of unpopular figures were burned, and also people would go door-to-door asking for treats. This practice was eventually incorporated into Halloween as well. So this celebration of Protestant victory over the Catholics in Britain furthered the tradition of bonfires in celebration, effigies being uh, burned, which kind of ties into like Halloween decorations, and then there were big parties, people asking for treats, parallels with trick-or-treating. It's just another sort of secondary or tertiary thing that happened that helped to grow the current holiday that we know as Halloween. As I'm sure as I'm sure most of you know, there was a huge famine in Ireland in the 19th century. And because of this famine, many Irish people came to America, came to North America to work, to find food, because there was no work and there was no food in Ireland. And they brought a lot of their traditions with them of All Saints Day and All Souls Day and Halloween. That is how we, that the Irish are specifically responsible for bringing these traditions, these ancient Celtic, ancient pagan, mutated into, into Catholic, mutated in other various ways to America. And, well, just North America in general, America and Canada. One of the traditions they brought with them was the tradition of the jack-o'-lantern. This tradition has its origins in Irish folklore from a story called Stingy Jack. Basically, Stingy Jack was a drunken con artist. He would trick people into giving him things or doing things, and he even managed to trick the devil into not taking his eternal soul to hell. He was a pretty bad dude. <laughs> he, knew, he knew where he was headed, but he had to con he had the con artist skills. So he was conning everyone on earth and just being a drunken fool and tricking people. And then he tricked the devil. He was like, I know I'm going to hell, but I'm a con man. I can con the devil. And he's not gonna get my soul. And he was successful. So Jack can't go to hell. But he lived a life of sin, so when he died, he also couldn't go to heaven either. <laughs> he was stuck between heaven and hell after he died damned to walk between the two damned to walk between the two with his soul in this eternal limbo walking throughout earth as this ghost and it's said that stingy jack took a turnip and carved a lantern out of it inside of the lantern was an ember from hell he used this lantern to light his way as his damned soul wandered earth looking to trick more people and steal from them. So I guess while he was down in hell tricking the devil, he was able to 
He was able to manage stealing an ember and putting it into a carved out turnip to turn it into a lantern. It's pretty sick. Because of this legend and folktale, the Irish would themselves carve a turnip and put a candle inside of it on Halloween or on ha- on All Hallows Eve to protect themselves from Stingy Jack. Because, like I said, the, the, the veil was thinnest during this time, and Stingy Jack could do the most damage on, on the nights of Samhain, or All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween. So they had to protect themselves from him. And lighting these lanterns, these turnip lanterns, was said to help keep him away, keep him at bay, keep his tricks from, from, get, from affecting them. And when the Irish came to America and shared their traditions, eventually the turnip carving turned into pumpkin carving. For pretty simple reasons, there's uh, not a lot of whimsical lore behind it other than pumpkins are just easier to carve than turnips, and they're big and orange, and they look cool. So that's, <laughs> that's why we switched from turnips to pumpkins, just out of, out of coolness. Another tradition of Halloween as we know it in the U.S., it started in Kansas, of all places. So this is after Halloween is here for a while. It's been here for some... It's been here for a long time, and it's starting to take on its own mutations within North America. And kids are starting to get rowdy. Halloween night is starting to get... They're starting to run amok. They're starting to vandalize things, to destroy things. Halloween is starting to turn into this, just, this, almost almost a riot. Kids would just go around and be like, it's Halloween, let's fuck shit up. And they did. So much so that in this small town in Kansas, they're really starting to destroy stuff. And stuff is really, really starting to get vandalized. And to stop the vandalism and tire the kids out and keep kids from running the town on Halloween night, a woman named Elizabeth Krabs decides to throw a Halloween party. And at the party, there are costume contests, treats, food, music. She gets everyone in her town involved to celebrate Halloween. And the goal here is, if I can keep these kids contained to this area and just let them party you know, on my property and, and just have their fun here, they'll get tired out and they won't go vandalizing the whole town and messing everything up. And it worked. Kids got their treats and the town was safe from being destroyed, being, van- well, not, not destroyed, but heavily vandalized. And word of her party spread and we start to see Halloween parties pop up all over, all across America. And a lot of people attribute the modern Halloween party that we parties that we know and love today to Elizabeth Krabs because of her efforts. And I wanted I wanted to talk about one last fact about Halloween. There's an ancient Celtic goddess very closely associated with Samhain named Morrigan. She was a shapeshifter and would frequently turn herself into heroes, ghosts, wolves, and many other different creatures of darkness or of might. And her her tales and her stories are part 
of a of the direct inspiration for why we dress up during Halloween. Not only was it the ancient Celtic people dressing in animal skins and animal heads, her tales are also a big inspiration for Halloween. As she, like I said, she was the goddess closely associated with Samhain, was a shapeshifter. So on Halloween night, we all decide to change shape, take a new form. Thank you, Morgan. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Okay, so that <laughs> that wraps up my brief history of Halloween, my not excruciatingly deep dive. I wanted to do a shorter podcast for this one as the last podcast was quite a dive and there are large, large depths I could get into for Halloween, but I wanted to keep this one a little more brief for you just so you had a... I don't want to overload the listeners with Halloween facts or Halloween knowledge. I just wanted to give a... I just wanted to put a broader perspective or a bigger perspective on where these traditions come from and why we do the things we do during Halloween and what their significance is and why they where they came from. So I hope you enjoyed I hope you enjoyed learning a couple little tidbits about about Halloween. Moving on, I'm going to on if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I, at the end I like to do a fun fact. And it's something I've been doing since the first one and I plan to keep the plan to keep the tradition alive. <laughs> Just like Sawin, baby. Anyway, uh, this episode's fun fact I learned about, and I was like, what? What the freak? This is weird. This is uh, something I thought that was strange and kind of gross and kind of fun and tied in with the... It just kind of tied in with being strange and weird. So the fun fact is a thing called tooth-in-eye surgery. It's a very strange, very effective surgery meant to restore vision in blind or almost blind eyes. <clears throat> the procedure was pioneered by the Italian ophthalmic surgeon, Professor Benito Strampelli. I'm going to explain in a nutshell how the, sur- how the surgery works without getting into a ton of medical jargon so that you can get a full picture of what this is and how this works. It's really fascinating. I had never heard of it before. So to break it down, a canine or a premolar is removed from the patient, along with a chunk of gum and sort of a meaty, just a meaty bit. So they take it, they pull out your tooth and with it, they get a bit of gum and a bit of flesh and just the area around the base of the tooth. The tooth, that tooth and that meat chunk is then implanted into the patient's cheek inside of the mouth. So it's, so think of putting it deep, um, go inside of your mouth and go way up till you get in, into your cheek and they would implant it there. And they re- the reason they did this is so the tooth and the meaty chunk could grow new veins and heal and, and kind of fuse together uh, with the side of your cheek. And while all this is happening, on the other side, 
same area inside the mouth, kind of all the way up, a piece of a piece of cheek meat is removed, and then the patient's eyeball. The patient has all the scar tissue or bad tissue on their eye removed from it, and this piece of this piece of cheek tissue from the other side is implanted onto the eye, kind of acting as a clean slate for the tooth implant, acting as a, a smooth runway for this procedure. So they get rid of all the bad stuff on your eye. They take a piece of of clean cheek meat and they sew it into your eye. All the while, on the other side of your mouth, way up in your cheek, there is this tooth uh, meat thing growing veins and becoming juicy and gnarly. So they take that out with all the veins and all the driplets and droplets, and they drill a small hole into the tooth. And then a plastic cylinder is fitted into the tooth. And then that meaty tooth chunk is implanted into the eye on top of the clean flesh slate. It's all it's all fused together and it makes this fleshy toothy eye with a little hole that has a plastic cylinder in it that the patient can see out of acting as kind of like a pupil. And the reason it has a super high success rate. This procedure has a super high success rate is because using a tooth and flesh from the patient or all of this organic material, the only real inorganic material is the plastic tube that they put through the tooth. And that isn't really making contact with the eye so much because it's all cased within the tooth. And then the tooth is cased within a meaty chunk from the cheek that's sewn to another meaty cheek chunk inside of your eyeball. It, and it's, it works way better. Your body doesn't reject it as much as it would if it was something completely synthetic. And it's gross and weird, but it works. <laughs> Tooth eye surgery. Big ups, uh, Strempelli. Big ups for thinking of putting someone's tooth inside of their eye. Wild. And that about rounds out the podcast. Uh, I just want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen. I hope that these episodes help you get through your day. I hope they give you some kind of inspiration. I hope they give you a little bit of joy. I hope that you feel creatively invigorated or at least entertained in some way. Uh, any, Any criticism or critiques or anything whatsoever, I'm still growing this thing. This is only episode six and... I'm I'm working through it. I'm doing the thing. It's really fun for me to get in front of the microphone and just brain puke all over the mic. But if you have any criticism or critiques, feel free to let me know on any of my social media things. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you don't have to do anything but listen. That is more than enough. But if you'd like to contribute above and beyond that, my Patreon, go to patreon.com and search MT period A-N-A-L-O-G-U-E, and you can find me there. Also, remember that no matter what you are going through, change is always possible. It's never too late. Check on your mental health. Check on the mental health of your loved ones. And happy Halloween. Bye. 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 Bye.
I know. 